we want to talk today a little bit about what it means to not just know that God is with us because God is everywhere, but to actually know and experience God's presence. And I feel like the, the, the table has been set for us a little bit this morning, and I trust that you are experiencing some of that drawing in of God just drawing us in. And you know if, you, if you've got your hands open and your hearts open that God wants us to, to know that he's here today and that he's present and he's present to, uh, for us to know him in a deeper way. I almost hesitate to just kind of let you know some practicals, but I'll do it just for a second. Um, if you are here for the first time, there's a, there's a connect card at the back, and if you want to uh, connect with us and let us know you're here, just go ahead and fill that out, and um, uh, there's a gift for you at the back there as well. There's a bunch of information on your program, um, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. Um, there's some opportunities for groups. There's a mom's group that's starting soon. Um, there's an intro to Anthem, so if you're new to the church and you want to uh, just check out Anthem, find out a little bit more about that, that's in your program as well, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's just a casual lunch uh, at someone's house and there'll be you know, a dozen or so of us and just a chance to get to know some, uh, some new people here at Anthem and, uh, and to hear a little bit about what we're, what we're doing as a church. And then on the Saturday before Thanksgiving, uh, we do what we're calling Friendsgiving, and that's a dinner. Uh, casual dinner, you can, it's a potluck kind of a thing, it's going to be at uh, Heritage Park Baptist Church, which is in Burlington, and we're going to be using one of their, one of their rooms, and we just invite everybody who's available on that Saturday before Thanksgiving to come out and eat dinner together. And does that sound like fun? Yeah. Right? Sounds good, right? And so no agenda except, you know, a great time to eat together and just share a meal for a couple of hours. Um, uh, if, if, just with this added twist, if you're thinking about bringing a dish, and uh, you may or may not know this, but about 25% of Anthem is made up of immigrants to the United States, including myself. So um, that's kind of cool. And for those of you who are immigrants, or any of you that like legitimately could trace your heritage to you know, some other part of the world, which is sort of everybody, but I know some of you are just kind of like generic Americans by now, but, um, and I kind of say that insultingly because I, I you know, kind of have to, right? But, um, when Thanksgiving's coming, you've got to, you know, represent your Britishness every now and then. But, um, but so, if you come from a different country, you come from a different heritage, I, we want to welcome you to, to, to bring a dish that represents a little bit of your history. That sound like fun? So, I'm, I'm speaking to you immigrants here, like, you've you got to help us out here, okay? It's useless if it's a bunch of hamburgers and then me with my shepherd's pie, you know what I mean? So, so I need you to, like, you know, to, 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 to because British food's no good anyway. So, uh, I need some of you to help us with that. Uh, sign up online with what you could bring. We're going to have a great family uh, Thanksgiving evening together. Does that sound like fun? Yeah. Okay, good. And then, um, I, I say this regularly, um, thank you to those of you who give at Anthem and make... Uh, part of your worship, um, your giving, and make your giving part of your worship. I, 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 um, uh, I, I, we, we have an online link for that, anthemchurch.life/give, and uh, that's just an easy way to set up recurring giving or being engaged in generosity with the church. It was Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, 500 years ago, uh, kind of leader of the Protestant Reformation, that said there's three conversions that take place in a person as they begin to follow Christ. And he said the first one is the, the, the conversion of the mind, and the second is the conversion of the heart, and the third is the conversion of the wallet. And, uh, you know, like, things haven't changed, right? And, uh, but uh, I, uh, I got this letter just, like, a month or so ago, and I thought I'd, I'd read this out. I'll change some of the names, but um, uh, these are friends of people that attend Anthem, 
They don't live in Massachusetts, they live out of state. We are uh, Connor and Rebecca, and we're friends to these people that attend Anthem. And it says this, currently we are in between churches and we are looking for some place to give our tithes. And our friends suggested you all. There's a little smiley face at that point. But, um, and it says, please find the first of our monthly tithes. We will pray for you and your church as we give. If you could please pray for us that we find the next church God wants for us next, we would be very grateful. And, and that was it. And just you know, feel free to contact us if you need anything. I, I, uh, that, that, that letter came with a check for $1,100 because someone believes in that the, the first, first fruits, the, the tenth of their, their first thing that doesn't belong to them, belongs to the Lord. That's something that we, we practice here. And uh, this couple, I've never met them. I probably will never met them. They're asking me to pray that God provides them with a new church. And, and I'm like, I'm not sure I want to commit to that. <laughs> um, I will, I will pray for that. But in the interim, in the interim, here's this couple that's got such a kingdom of God approach to something like their finances that I believe that it's clear that God has converted them right down to the core of their wallet. You know? And quite frankly, I, I read that, I'm like, I'm not even sure if I would have taken that same approach. But it's challenged me as I read that, that somebody's like, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure where the local expression of God's family is for us right now. But in between, we still know that this, this uh, money isn't ours. It belongs to the Lord. And so they connected with us. And, and I mean, you all can pray for them to find a church in 2025. That would be awesome. And so uh, let's, uh, but I, I say that just to, just to, issue a little bit more of a challenge to us. If, if, if you're feeling like God's, God's been leading me in the direction of, of my generosity and, and calling that out of me, then just respond to what he's saying to you in that. And so, uh, Okay, so now, to get back to the theme of, of, of our day, over these last few weeks we started to talk about this theme which we call Naturally Supernatural. And we really want to think like, okay, if Christianity is anything, and there's a, there's a, a quote from Reinhard Bonnke, the, the German evangelist, who said, if Christianity isn't supernatural, then it is nothing at all. And I mean, I agree with that, because God miraculously raised Jesus, raised his son, a person born as a man on earth, raised him from the dead, and he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And at the center of Christianity, if you believe anything about Christianity, hopefully you believe the fact that God miraculously raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, that's at the heart of what Christians, 2.4 billion Christians around the, around the world believe. But I think what's easy to happen is for us to leave it there. It's easy for us to think, well, God can do miraculous things either long ago or far away, but probably not right here in the neighborhood. And I think here's, here's our problem is that we, we think that uh, we, have a, we have a short list of expectations for God. We think he can forgive our sins. Uh, we think he can hear our prayers and he can hopefully get us to heaven when we die. And outside of that, we're, we're, we're not quite sure what it is that God's supposed to actually show up and do. And so we put God in this small structure, what I call a plausibility box, inside which it's plausible for God to act. Outside of that plausibility box, I don't know if, that's, if, if, if God shows up in those areas. And I believe that we've put God in a box that's much too small, and if anything, God doesn't like being put in boxes, right? 
God wants to break free and let us know he is more abundantly able than, than anything that we could ask or think of to do and to act in our lives. We don't sometimes expect God to speak to us. And Liz talked about this last week. If you, um, if you listen to podcasts, our Anthem Church podcast is back up and running. So just search wherever you get your podcast, search for Anthem Church Life. Okay? And the podcast is there for the message. Liz talked last week about God speaking to us. Um, do you think God could use you in a prayer to heal somebody? That God could use you to ask God to bring healing or do miracles for us, do, do miracles through us. And so if we've created this plausibility box within which God can act and it's kind of small, let's use these few weeks of, 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 of uh, talks and thinking about this theme as a means of saying, God, will you break open that box that I've put you in? Okay? And so the problem, I think, is that, that we've put God in a very small box. And our purpose over these next few weeks is to help us realize that God doesn't want to be defined by any box that's created by us. Now, here's where I want to go, go with it uh, this week and today specifically. Becca even said that we want to understand what it means to know God's presence. You know, traditionally, people will have said things like, God be with you, right? Or, or, or we'll say, God bless you. Or we might even say, God speed. And those are all kind of phrases that are like, in a sense, they're really like asking, hey, God, could you show up so that we can get stuff done, right? Like, like you might say, God be with you, or God, God speed when they get to the airport. Like, maybe if God shows up and helps you, then maybe your plane won't be delayed, or maybe you won't hit traffic, or God bless you. May, may, may God give you all the things that you want and need. But I wonder if, if instead of... Uh, 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 kind of imparting phrases and requests on other people that, that they might know God so that they can get stuff done, what might it be like if we just said something like, may you experience God's presence? May you know Him. May you experience Him just because He wants you to know His presence for its own sake. Now I wonder, we, we, we probably know, if, you, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you've probably heard this phrase that, that God is everywhere. Right? That God, God is, is, we use the word, theological term, omnipresent. Uh, we believe that God is omniscient. That means he, he knows all things. That God is omnipotent, okay? Or he's all-powerful. And that God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. There won't be a test on any of this or anything like that. You can forget that already. So, but that God is, is, is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere. Those are kind of like three ways to describe who God is. But when we talk about God being omnipresent, when we talk about him being everywhere, that's not really what we mean when we talk about experiencing the presence of God. Because if, if God is everywhere, then that's kind of like, it's just been done, isn't it? You know, Psalm, Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your presence? This is King David praying this. He says, Where can I go from your, sorry, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And he, he's, he's basically saying, like, if, if, if God is everywhere, then there's nowhere I can run away from your presence. I can know your, I can, I can experience your presence. He's talking about the omnipresent nature of God, that God is everywhere. He's, he's declaring that statement that God is, is universal. God is everywhere. And, and, and making that declaration, I can't run from you. But if you, if you just read the scriptures on face value, you might read some things and think that it, it sort of contradicts itself a little bit. I want to kind of go into that a little bit. Here's why I understand that we can know with confidence that God is everywhere. But God wants his manifest presence to be made known 
to people who follow him. He wants to make himself known to us. That there could be a daily walk with God that we experience, or a, 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 a time of increase of, of being aware of the actual manifest presence of God. Now, right back at the beginning of history, Adam and Eve, they're, they're living in perfection. They're living in, in, in the Garden of Eden. They're living in this perfect universe that God has created because there's no sin. There's nothing that's entered the world that's messed up the place that they're in. And then despite that perfection, perfection, Adam and Eve choose to go the opposite direction from where God wants them to go. They choose to separate themselves from God and sin. And Genesis 3.8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can you imagine trying to hide yourself from God's presence? But they recognized that they were suddenly sinful and they hid themselves from God's presence. It's from that point on, there's something different to the perfect world that God had created, where he walked daily, where he made his presence known to Adam and Eve. And suddenly something changed, and they hid themselves from God's presence. Until that time, they experienced this constant experience of God being present with them. As scriptures go on in the New Testament, you read in Jonah. Uh, Jonah was the prophet, remember, who was called by God to go to Nineveh said, I don't like that, I'm going the other way, like God wants him to go to Nineveh, uh, Jonah goes to Joppa, which is like a thousand miles the opposite direction, and in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and just that bit right there, he, 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 he fleed from the, from the presence of the Lord, like he wanted to go a different way, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So when we read these passages of scripture that indicate that you can actually, you can actually, God's presence is here, you can go that way, you can leave if you want to, I get this, this distinct impression that there must be things that I can do to enter God's presence as well and to experience it, to experience him in deeper ways. One of the most significant leaders in the Old Testament was a man by the name of Moses, who God used Moses to lead uh, the Hebrew people out of captivity in Egypt and into what would later become uh, Israel, the, the promised land. God told them, I'm going to be leading you into a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he uses Moses to lead the, the, uh, the Hebrew people, possibly two million people, out of the desert and into the promised land. And there's one point when and they've, been in, they've been in camp for a while, they've set up tents, they, they've got a, a, a makeshift temple called a tabernacle where Moses would go in and he would meet with God regularly. And at one point, God says to them, I want you to get up and I want you to leave this place and I want you to head for the promised land. But, but here's the news, people, I'm not going with you. And God lets Moses know, and you can read this in Exodus, Exodus 33, God tells Moses, he says, I'm not going with you. I'm staying right here. And Moses could have, could have quite thought, well, well, yeah, I've experienced God in this actual place. You see, what they had is they had this, like I said, this tabernacle, this, this makeshift temple where, where Moses would meet with God. And whenever Moses went into the presence of the Lord, uh, God would show himself as being present by a cloud. And a cloud would settle over the entrance uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the tabernacle. 
And yet Moses is experiencing this and all the people are seeing the glory of God right in front of their faces. And then Moses is being told by God, hey, I want you to get ready, start packing up, you're going to the promised land. It's time to move. But by the way, because of the scripture says, you are a stiff-necked people, I'm not going with you. God had had it up to here with these people. Like he says, you're a stiff-necked people. I don't know what that means if, if, if physically, like, ah. Oh. You look around, that's a stiff-necked person. Does it mean they slept on the pillow wrong? But that's the, that's the way the scripture describes a stiff-necked people. They're arrogant. They're prideful. They're stubborn. Like, and God's just hacked off with them. And he says, I'm going to stay here. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? Some of you are nudging like spouses right now. I know it, right? But, like, but we could be like that. We could be those, those stubborn people that want to do things our own way. And regularly, we want God on our terms. Right? And God says, God says to these people, I'm not going with you. And Moses and the people had experienced God at the camp. And, and when, when God would go, when Moses would go to God on behalf of the people, God would, would show up. God would be uh, present. But at this point, God's like, you're getting on my nerves. You go. I'm staying here. Right? And Moses comes back to God. And if he you know, kind of had a door, I think he'd be knocking on it. He'd say, listen, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, What's different about us to everybody else? What's different about your people to the other nations that are around us uh, that don't follow you? Moses is like making it clear to God. He's, he's bold enough to say, listen, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we're just like everybody else. And then at the end of it, he pleads, he says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. There was a desperation on the part of Moses and on the people of God. And I think there needs to be a desperation on our lives as well, where we say, God, if, you, if you're not present, if you're not coming with us, don't ask us to move. We don't want to go anywhere that you're not coming. We don't want to get ahead of you. We don't want to do it our own way. We want to be defined by your presence in our lives and by experiencing your presence today. A little bit of time went on, I guess. Exodus 33, 14. God replies to Moses. Says the Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's the, that's the essence of, 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 of God being with us. It's rest. It's peace in totality. It's Sabbath. It's that time of experiencing nothing but God. Allowing to let our stresses go allow it to get our worries and our fear goes because we've allowed God to come in and fill us. And God says to this hungry, desperate people who are like, no way, no way do we want to be defined by something other than the presence of God. He says to this hungry people, he says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. If I look back on my life, I think the times when I've experienced God's manifest presence in my life the most are times when I've given myself to time spent with the Father. I've, been, I've given myself to devotion. I've given myself to obedience. I've given myself over to worship. I've been willing to, to bow my knee, not be stiff-necked and stubborn and obstinate and going my way, but I've been willing to, to in, on, my, on my own, with my wife, uh, at times when we recognize we're far from God, to be willing to come back to him and to say, God, we've been stiff-necked, we've been stubborn, we've not been going your way. Those are the times when I've experienced God's presence 
the most. When I'm hungry for it, when I'm so hungry for it that I'll adjust my attitude, I'll change my posture, I'll repent of my sin, and I'll recognize the distance there is between me and God. And so I just want to ask this morning, are you, are you living daily with stress? Is there an area of your life where you're, you know you're putting up a wall, you're putting up a, a boundary between you and God? And you say, okay, God, I've been, I've been, I've been hurt by people that were, you know, claim to be your people, and I've been judged, and, I, and as a result, what's happened here on earth has made me not come close to you. You've almost said this far and no further. You've always put yourself to a place of comfortability and you've put God in a structure that seems to work for you and you're keeping your distance. And I just want to say we can't expect to live that life and to experience God's presence in our lives as well. It may be that God wants you to be reminded of your sin, that God wants to be reminded of the things that separate you from him. And you know, as we said a few weeks ago, when we were in our uh, uh, Life Turned Up to 11 series, we were talking about some of those meetings that Jesus had with people. When God reminds us of our sin, it's not to, to condemn us or to push us down. If anything, when Jesus met that woman who'd been caught in adultery, remember the two things he said to her. He said, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. But he didn't dig her into the dirt because of what she'd done. He just made it clear. He says, I'm not going to lay on you any more condemnation than you already feel because of your sin. But from today, from now, God never says, like, all this stuff that's in your background, let's just keep bringing this up. No, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's make the future different to the past. And you can do that because I'm present. And so if we look at our lives and we think, you know, we recognize, no, I've got to repent. I've got to turn a different direction. That doesn't... That can be done right here and right now today. And from this morning, we can pick up and we can experience more of God because we're making different choices. The promise of His presence is worth adjusting our lives for. Psalm 16:11 says that in your presence is fullness of joy. Say fullness. 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 Complete and total joy. If you're living with stress today, it's, it, it can be replaced by God's presence. By saying, God, I'm go I want to experience your presence in my life. I'm going to take time to devotion. I'm going to take time for quiet. I'm going to take time to listen. I'm going to value worship. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come into your presence when I walk in these doors, recognizing I'm entering your presence. I'm not just coming to church. I want to say, why wouldn't we live that life? If God's presence is fullness of joy, why wouldn't we hunger for God's presence with absolutely everything we've got? Why wouldn't we want to live that life? After Jesus had resurrected and ascended into heaven, you know, we read in Acts chapter 3, the day of, day of Pentecost, and Peter gets up and he, he preaches. He says, now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from God's presence. Right? How many of you want that? Like that experience of, that makes the experience of repentance worth it, right? Like let's just look at that. You must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. God has a, I mean, there was a lot of water yesterday, right? And there's some flooding going on, but God has a river of his presence that he wants you and I to experience. And this is, 
This is after Jesus had, had gone, the Holy Spirit had been sent, had been sent. This is a, a, a word for our day today, right? That God wants you and I to experience times of refreshing, a stream of his presence in our lives. How many want that? Anybody? Come on, speak to me. Like, he wants us to experience those times of, his re- of refreshing in his presence. And I don't know about you, but the more I've been thinking about this over these last few weeks and that, that desire to experience the supernatural in my life, it's not to find, see some signs and wonders. It's primarily to experience God in my life for the, for the sake of, the, of experiencing Him, not so that He can do something for me. You know, some of this is, uh, some of this is directly related to us as a worshipping community of God. It's easy to, to, to blow past things like, oh, times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Like, this is just God being poetic. And it, it, but no, when we come together, I think we, 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 have, we have a lot to learn to understand about the, the importance of the presence of God as a worshiping community. You know, when we worship Him together, we have an opportunity to enter His presence. So, so really, there's a the, the, the way that Israel would worship together, they would recognize from the second they came into the temple that something was different. And, and, and Psalm 95 says, Psalm 95 2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to him with psalms. It's not just a God who's present because he's always present. It's not just a God who's always everywhere, but do you know that today when you come to worship, there's a God who's saying, I want you to experience my manifest presence. I want you to know that I'm here. I want you to know that I am present. When we sing, when we sing uh, uh, strategically placed songs like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Is this a song that you're like, at arm's length for me? Like, I'm not really sure what that would mean. Or, or are, you, are you crying out to God, God, you are welcome here. Flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Let your glory be known. Let your presence be known. And I think I think our, our, our issue is, is that we don't really know what the manifest presence of God is like. Now let's think about that for a minute. If, uh, if imagine there was a, uh, uh, a a multi-billionaire came in this morning. Right? You keep your hands down for the moment. But if a, if a multi-billionaire came into the church this morning, and not one that you would recognize like, like Elon or, or Jeff or any, you know what I mean? Not, not even the, the, the big guys, but somebody like a little further down the list who you wouldn't know who they are, right? But a multi-billionaire came into church and sits down somewhere. I don't know where the multi-billionaires would sit. Um, yeah, someone's pointing at someone else. So if somebody walks in, multi-billionaire sits down, their presence is in the room. But if that multi-billionaire starts to hand out million-dollar checks to everyone else in the room, suddenly he's made his presence known, right? He's made his presence. He's manifested his presence in the space. Now, we could just wait a few minutes and just see if anybody wants to, uh, you know, take on that call. Probably not, I'm guessing, right? But when we enter this room and you walk in that door not because it's anything special it's just a rented double tree room but where Rebecca even said this earlier when we worshiped that lord you've promised where two or three are gathered there you are in the midst it's in the scriptures and so god says there's something different there's something unique 
that takes place when God's people are in the same room together. You are not just hanging out with your brothers and sisters. We can experience God's presence among us. All right? Isaiah, Isaiah 6, he, 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 Isaiah walked into the, the temple of God and it says, I, 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 in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. God's presence filled the place where he was to the point where he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, um, he couldn't function anymore. He couldn't do what he was what he'd come to do, he says, like in this kind of uh, in the, the old uh, King James Bible says, he said, "Woe to me, for I am undone." You know, it's kind of very Shakespearean language. It was written around. The, it was uh, translated around the same time, but the scriptures now say something like, um, you know, like I am nothing. And Elijah didn't come into the presence of God because there was a full band or anything like that. Even these last few weeks, we've been kind of stripping it down um, to just a little bit of music here on a Sunday morning. He didn't experience God because there was a bunch of hype and lights and smoke and something that had been contrived. He experienced God because God was there and, and uh, it says that he, God filled the space. The train of his robe filled the temple and, and Isaiah was suddenly aware of the distance between him and God. So like, I'm nothing. I'm undone. And then the Bible says that uh, one of the angels came and took a live coal from the altar. And this is the symbolism of Christ coming to us where we were totally powerless. Uh, taking a live coal from the altar and, and touching Isaiah's lips with this burning coal saying, like, your sin, your sin is dealt with. Your sin is atoned for. All your nothingness, I've removed it. And now you can stand in my presence and you can go out and you can be sent out by me. Because whenever, we, whenever we, we enter God's presence, whenever we walk in to the community of God, the community of faith, I want to remind you, like tell each other next Sunday morning when you get here, isn't this amazing? We're coming into God's presence together. And we're ready to experience a supernatural God. And let me just encourage you, live your life looking for God's presence. Don't just pray when you're in the car because, oh, I've got some time, so I'll pray. Don't just give time to God with where you know, you're listening to worship music in the background while you're doing other things. But there might be a need in some of our lives for some basement time, right? For some time where we go and nobody else knows about it, but we get down into the basement and we find a chair where nobody else is around and we, 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 we kneel, we take a knee before the King of Kings. And we're ready to bow our knees, lean on a chair, and just say, God, I recognize I'm nothing. I want to be. I want to spend time in your presence. It was uh, Charles Wesley a couple hundred years ago who would say, I, I can't get anything done. I've got so much to do that I can't get any of it done unless I pray for an hour. Oh my gosh, somebody who's recognizing the need to be in God's presence. And so I think our experiences of, 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 of moments like that and of worship together, and of taking worship together to another level where we recognize that these words that I'm singing are not just words on a screen, but they are words designed to bring me into the presence of the Lord, to help me recognize truth, to recognize the truth about who I am and the truth about who God is. I think God's asking us to be still before Him. It might be that some of your prayers are a lot less about laundry lists of things you want God to do, but more about that first line of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. 
you can stop right there. You know, we can say, hello, be your name. You are holy. You are totally complete. You are, you've got the utmost of integrity. You are one when I am not. And I am, I'm, I'm sinful and I'm messed up. But I'm, I come to a holy God and recognize that I'm only here because of the blood of Jesus. The coal that touched our lips and says, your sin is atoned for. Ask uh, Becca and Tabitha and the others to come up right now and lead us in a few moments. But I want to read a scripture that is a translation of Matthew chapter 11. And if you come in tired to church this morning, you come in wounded and burned out, you feel like, I, I, I need what is here, but I'm, I'm just, I'm exhausted, I've got nothing to bring. I believe God will say, Wants, wants to invite you and I into his presence. In a few minutes' time, we're going to sing and, and uh, worship together, just gently lift our voices to our God. And while we're doing it, you might want to just kneel at your seat. Maybe that's a, a, a step forward in surrender to God today, just to kneel down. And some of you that came from a Catholic tradition, like, this is awesome. We used to do that all the time. And somebody would tell you to kneel, and you knelt, and somebody would tell you to sit up. And I want you to feel the absolute liberty today. If, if as, as our singers are leading us, and if you feel like, you know what, I need to make a step towards surrender to God. If you want to turn around at your chair and kneel, or if you want to sit in your chair or find a space in the room you'd like to kneel, or you can just sit in your chair and experience what's going on the same way. Just Feel an absolute liberty to do it. And for a few minutes' time, let's, let's say, God, I want to drink in your presence today. I know you're here. I know you want to meet with us. And I want to recognize that you're here. These words from Matthew, Matthew 11. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but just keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly.